Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy and infallible word. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, We were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then Lord's Day 23, that's in the back of your blue hymnals if you turn there, because I'd like us to read it responsively, a couple of them. Lord's Day 23, page 30 in your blue hymnal. It's not going to be up there. I didn't ask uh, Susan or Karen to do that because I I wanted you to to take it out. I don't know why, I just did. (laughs) Because we often have it up there, but we're taking it out tonight. Um, Lord's Day 23. So this is about halfway through the catechism, right? Because there are 52 Lord's Days. 52 all together. So... I'm going to read question 59, and then if you could read the answer to that one, please. What good does it do you, however, to believe all this? And then I'll read this one, okay? How are you right with God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them, and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. And then if you could please read this answer. Why do you say that by faith alone you are right with God? Thank you. So we're on a tour in this series. We're on a bird's eye view of the catechism. Soon we're going to go down to 10,000 feet and take a bit closer look. But right now we're still at 30,000 feet with these three messages on the threefold structure of the catechism. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Grace today, the second section. There was a pastor who was once meeting... Uh, with a newer Christian who was in the process of joining the church. And I'll tell you, this pastor was me. 
uh, the person had read the catechism at the pastor's request, and they were discussing it together. And this person appreciated the Heidelberg Catechism very, very much. And the reason this pastor, me, said to read the Catechism is because it's so simple, it's so straightforward. These short questions, answers, all about the heart of the faith. So this person appreciated it very much. He did comment, though, that that first part, that guilt section, was kind of harsh. He said, it's kind of harsh. But then he said, you know, as, as the catechism went on, it got, it got better. It was less harsh. It got a lot better. But then something else he said about that first part was very interesting. He said, if that first part is true, in other words, if we're that guilty, if we're that lost in sin, if we're that far from God, what's the point? Why even try? And I, I smiled at that, and I said to him, well, that's exactly the point. That is the point. All of our trying will not do anything. It's pointless. That's, why, that's what the Bible is telling us about our sin. We're so mired in it, we can't accomplish salvation. We're dead in our sins, as Ephesians 2 said. And then that's, of course, where grace comes in, God's gift. And that's why only a free gift God's grace will do. And then what we did actually together after that is turn to this question and answer 60 that we read, the center one. Um, and I didn't read the whole thing, but I took them to the very end of it where it says, all I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. And then when I came up to this message on grace and looked a little bit more at this Lord's Day, I discovered that this Lord's Day gets us right to the heart of this whole second section in the Catechism on Grace. And what, what is talked about here, though the word justification isn't used, Lord's Day 23 is about justification by grace through faith. Reformation Day is next week. Justification is a key, if not the key, Reformation principle. And justification also summarizes this very large second section of the Catechism, which is about our faith. It covers 26 Lord's Day, half of the Catechism. It studies the Apostles' Creed, the sacraments, and what we call the keys of the kingdom. One current day pastor calls justification the granddaddy of all doctrines. And he says the church stands or falls on this truth. The granddaddy of all doctrines. I kind of like that. A 17th century pastor called justification the soul of Christianity and the fountainhead of all true comfort. And since the catechism is all about comfort, as we saw in Lord's Day 1, it's very appropriate that we use this most comforting doctrine, justification, as our summary of the second section. Here's a definition of justification, and I want to put it up there. It's pretty... Dense. This guy basically 
covers everything you possibly could. I'll give you, how about I give you the simple just, uh, definition first? And it, it's often what we say, and it, this is helpful, just as if I never sin. That's the straightforward definition of justification. That, that covers it. And, and that's the catechism says, as if I had never sinned, right? So that's where we got justification in there. We get Christ's righteousness as if I had never sinned, just as if I'd never sinned. Here's a few more details. Justification is a gracious act of God whereby he, as righteous judge, acquits the elect from guilt and punishment and declares them to be heirs of eternal life because of the righteousness of Christ, the surety, the guarantee, that means, imputed to them by God and received by them through faith. All right? As the granddaddy of doctrines, the soul of the Christian faith, a comfort. I think we as a church should know something about this doctrine. So I want to share with you seven things you need to know about justification. Seven-point sermon. We're pretty hip here at faith. We don't just do those old-fashioned three-point sermons. Seven-point sermon. Don't worry, we're going to move through them relatively quickly. Seven things you need to know about justification. The first one, let's, let's at the same time, justified and a sinner. This phrase was made famous by Martin Luther, the great reformer, and it gets at what we read in answer 60. Even though my conscience accuses me, and even though I'm still inclined toward all evil... Justification is being made right with God, but we still violate his commands. We still battle against sin. As one pastor puts it, this side of heaven, we will always be sinning saints, righteous wretches, and even sometimes justified jerks. That's me sometimes, I have to admit. But doesn't this fact, you think, how is this helpful? Wouldn't this just make us kind of complacent? And why should we even try to live for God? Lord's Day 24, question and answer 64, cover that. When it says, doesn't this teaching make people indifferent and wicked? Free grace, justification. And the answer is no, because it's impossible for those grafted into Christ by true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. In other words, believers will seek to live for God. When the Holy Spirit's in you, you will live for God. What this is, I think, at the same time we're justified but we're still sinners, I think it's an encouragement when you mess up. Because every other Christian messes up too. This is a reminder continually in our lives, every day. We're reminded, knowing this, that God didn't save us because of our works, but because of Christ's work. Our own works stink, and they continue to sometimes stink, even as we're Christians. I think this is a reminder that we need to continually, as believers, day by day, be confessing our sins humbly before the Lord. And I think I think this is also an opportunity. 
I think this shows that there is forever an opportunity for Christians to grow in grace this side of heaven. We have something to always be striving for. Paul talks about striving for the prize. Keep striving for a closer walk with God because right when you're saved, it's not like you've achieved it. We still have growth to do. The second one. Our right standing with God is based on an alien righteousness. The righteousness we get is not our own. We're not justified because of our own righteousness, but because the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ has been credited to me. A hymn puts it this way, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. And one pastor says this really, this idea shows us the silliness of people who want to talk about the God within us. You know what I'm talking about? You'll talk about somehow that we have the God little g within us. The answer to our problems is not within us. It's outside of us. The more you look within, the more problems you will see. The more lost you will feel, the more confused you will become about life. Because the answer is not in you, it's not in me, it's outside of us. We need an alien righteousness. Alien means extraterrestrial out of this world, which in a sense is true here. Jesus, the Son of God, entered our world from his existence in eternity to die for our sins. Third, the righteousness is ours by imputation, not by impartation. We're not made holy as if we have possessed this holiness ourselves. Instead, Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. And that's what the Catechism says in question and answer 60. God grants and credits Christ's righteousness to me. The flip side of this is Jesus was not punished on the cross because he actually possessed sin in himself. God didn't infuse Jesus with sin and make him a sinner. In a parallel way, the flip side is we are not justified because we actually possessed righteousness in ourselves. Both of those things happen by what's called imputation. Imputation means that instead of holding $1,000 bills in your hand, someone has wired $1,000 to your account for automatic deposit. It's not in your physical possession, but it's legally, really, truly yours, and so is Christ's righteousness. Fourth, are you sticking with me? We're justified through faith and faith alone. Faith alone is important, and it's going to be emphasized in our Reformation Day service next Sunday morning, too. The Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation that's about the time this was written, was okay saying that we're saved by faith, but they would not say it was okay to say that we're saved by faith alone. Faith alone they would not do. 
In the Catholic Church of the 16th century, it was taught that becoming right with God needed some of our own works. And this made people do all sorts of things to try to get their standing with God better. And some of the worst examples of this were what were called indulgences. And there was a very famous seller of them uh, that kids learn about in school often in history, uh, Johann Tetzel. And the phrase, as is, this phrase is attributed to him, as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. So this was set up. This was real. You could pay the church money to help you have your sins forgiven or to help someone you love get out of purgatory, which we don't believe even exists. Besides adding money to faith and to salvation, they added other stuff too, like saying the Lord's Prayer many times or Hail Marys multiple times or doing other pious acts. And it was taught all of these things could contribute to your forgiveness of sin. Lest we think this is ancient history, Pope Benedict, not too many months ago, announced that he would grant indulgences for the 2012-2013 year of faith. I don't know if I'll read all of this. I just might. Here's some details about the indulgences. Those visiting basilicas, cathedrals, catacombs, or other sacred sites in the form of a pilgrimage must participate in a liturgy or at least pause for an appropriate time in prayer and with pious meditations, concluding with the recitation of the Our Father, profession of faith in any legitimate form, invocations of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and where appropriate of the holy apostles or patron saints, the Catholic faithful in any local church can obtain the indulgence by attending three sermons at parish missions or three lectures on Vatican II or the Catechism, attending Mass or the Liturgy of the Hours on days designated by the local bishop for the year of faith, or visiting the place where they were baptized to renew their baptismal vows, Catholics who attend Mass celebrated by a bishop on the year of faith's last day, the Feast of Christ, will also receive the indulgence, as will those impeded by sickness or other serious cause from attending the Mass, as long as they're truly repentant and pray while listening to the bishop bestow the indulgence via television or radio. This is today not the 16th century. Can you believe it? Can you believe millions and millions of poor, poor people being told that they can do something to help with their standing before a holy God when they can't? It's impossible. It's terrible. It's a tragedy. We're not saved by works, said Ephesians 2. Not even a tiny little bit. Faith alone continues to be something we need to be reminded of today. The evangelical faith has always held on to something like we have at the end of answer 60. All I need to do, isn't that refreshing after the papal proclamation we just read? All I need to do is accept the gift of God with a believing heart. That's all I need to do. Faith is instrumental. Five. How faith works is important to get straight. And we say pretty deliberately we're saved by grace through faith. That means faith, 
faith doesn't save us. Faith is instrumental. And, and sometimes you'll hear faith described as the one thing that we bring to the table in justification. God does by far most of it. We just bring faith. And, but faith is just the instrument. It's the object of faith. Jesus saves. If you walk on a frozen pond, your faith in that pond doesn't save you. It's the 12 inches of ice you're walking over. I've used this before because I, I think it's helpful. When you water your garden, you have a garden hose and you have water. Does the hose water your plants and keep them alive? No, the water does. Water is God's grace. Ho- the hose is faith. The plants are saved by water through the hose. We're saved by God's grace through faith. One, there's a sixth one, right? Yes, thank you. Four perspectives on the when of justification. You might wonder if you think about what the Bible tells us about the cross, God's electing love in eternity, and our own lives today, when does justification actually happen? When are we made right with God? And actually, there are four different ways we might look at it. In one sense, justification happens from eternity. It's an act in God's elective plan. He chose us before the foundations of the world were established, and he created this world to accomplish his saving plan for his people. There's another sense, and you can look at justification from the cross. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. So salvation was accomplished at the cross for all God's people, all who would believe. There's another sense, and we think about justification in our own lives, right? That work at the cross needs to become ours personally. We're called to accept God's gift and make it ours. There's a final sense in which we talk about justification, and that's at the end of time. There will be a public justification at the end of time. All who have been made right with God in Christ, that's going to be announced before the whole world, before all people, before all angels, Satan and his demons. So you got these four different perspectives from Christ's point of view, God's in eternity, our own point of view in the end of time. I want to talk about one of those four points for our final point and ask, are you right with God? Justification becoming ours personally in our lives. What we read here comes after 14 lessons on the Apostles' Creed, what we believe. And it says, what good does all of this do you? What good does it do for you to believe all this? And, and we might ask the same thing of this, this great truth, this doctrine that, that people have studied and taught and shared and proclaimed. What good is justification? And then question 60, how are you right with God? The catechism does here what it always does. It wants to bring it home to our hearts. It wants to bring it home to our hearts. 
And it does that when it says, all I need to do is accept this gift of God with a believing heart. So I want to ask you tonight, have you, friends, accepted God's gift? Whether this is the first time you've heard the gospel or the 200th time, we need to be sure, you need to be sure, there was once a little boy who grew up in the Christian Reformed Church, and he, he grew up knowing about Jesus and hearing about him from day one. And that's a great privilege to grow up in the church. And just by the way, don't ever think that it would be cooler to have a story of wandering from God for a long time and then have this dramatic conversion. That's great when it happens. And God uses those dramatic testimonies in powerful ways. But those who have those sort of testimonies still have to live with the memories and results of that wayward lifestyle that they had for years for the rest of their lives. And someone who didn't grow up in a Christian home will say they wish they had and that if you did, you are blessed beyond measure. So don't ever wish for a different path to salvation than the one God gave you. But back to this little boy. Once when he was like eight or nine, he'd been listening to a Billy Graham crusade on TV and he heard the reverence call to salvation. Afterward, he went into his bedroom and though he felt he belonged to Jesus and had for some time, he prayed that sinner's prayer and he accepted Jesus into his heart just to be absolutely sure I don't know if you knew, but Billy Graham is now 95 years old. His wife died six years ago. Calling people to faith in Jesus. If there's anyone who's had like a single focus to their life in ministry, it's Billy Graham. And it's calling Jesus to, people to faith in Jesus. He can't get out of his house right now, but he's still doing it and he has a new book out called The Reason for My Hope, Salvation. The Faith Book Club is going to read it as part of their next discussion. I'd encourage you to join in. There's an interview with Graham in the recent Christianity Today. It's actually a magazine he founded, which I didn't know. And he says this in that interview, talking about the book. This book is written to sound a warning, a loving warning from heaven, that heaven is created for those who humble themselves before God and hell is created for Satan and those who serve him. Christ came to turn mankind away from the hold Satan wants to have in people's lives. Jesus Christ is the answer for the world. He is the anchor of the soul. He is the God of hope who came in human form to rescue us from Satan's grip. A seminary professor once made a profound statement to his students, he goes on. Never preach hell without tears in your eyes. And then he says this. My message is to proclaim that we are all sinners in need of a Savior and to ask each one this question. Have you been saved? People sitting in church pews, People who've never set foot in the church, people who grew up in Christian homes, people who grew up in atheist homes. The message is the same for all of us. We are sinners 
in need of a Savior. The Catechism tells us that very clearly in this first part on guilt. And then it goes on in this second section to tell us that the way to be free from guilt, the way to get right with God, the way of salvation, it has been accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we're made right with God by grace through faith. All you need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. Be sure that you have tonight, friends. And may that simple, clear gospel call sound forth from this church to everyone who comes in our doors, to our community, and to our world. Let's pray.